Sometimes during the Christmas season, it becomes all about what I need to get done. Uh, raise your hand if you know that feeling. Like, there's all, I'm busy anyway. I feel like life is too busy most of the time. And then I get to the month of December, like immediately after Thanksgiving is over. And it's like Thanksgiving was created so that we could have one final day of rest before we have to get everything done. And so you have your normal busy life and then a million other things that you need to do. And a lot of them are fun, but they do feel like you have to do them. It's like, I got to get this done and I got to get this done. And I'm thinking about how we haven't put Christmas lights outside yet. And, uh, and today we're getting our tree, which I'm looking forward to, but then I have to decorate it. And then when Christmas is over, I, this is the part I hate, I have to put the decorations back into the garage. And there's just so many things that we have to do. And we talked about last week how Christmas is just so cluttered that we often forget about what it's about, and uh, it's easy for Jesus to be lost amidst all of the clutter of Christmas, and a lot of that is things that you just feel like you have to get done, like it just, we need to, we need to, we need to, and here's the reality of that. I think that it's a, a beautiful metaphor in some ways for how we think, and I don't just mean Christians, but how people think about Christianity in general. We always think it's just kind of a religion, or we feel like sometimes it's kind of a religion that's all about having to get a whole bunch of things done. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, then then you kind of probably just thought that coming here today and you thought, well, I'm just going to do kind of a Christian thing today because they have to go to church and they have to wake up earlier on Sunday mornings and they're supposed to pray more often and they're supposed to read their Bibles and they're supposed to not do a whole bunch of things, you know, it's all about what they're not supposed to do and they are supposed to give money to their church and uh, and if you're a Christian, you, you know, the same things, you feel those same things, it's all about what we have to do and, and here is what I think think is is really cool about what we're trying to do in this Christmas sermon series, Simply Christmas, as we try to get really back to the heart of Christmas and try to look at the story of Jesus' birth in the most simple way that we can, just reading it in the Gospel of Luke, uh, it reminds us that there is something greater in Christianity than just what we are supposed to do. And I think as we read the story of Jesus' birth and the events that lead up to it and kind of the things that happen directly after it when the, the shepherds come, if you know that part of the story, and they worship Jesus. As we read this story, what is unfolded to us is that at the heart of Christianity is not a to-do list, but a person and the Christmas story, as Luke writes it for a guy named Theophilus, is really about who Jesus is, not about what Theophilus needs to do. Not giving him a to-do list of things he ought to be doing to be more Christian-like. It's about telling him who Jesus is. Peter Mead, a guy who wrote a blog post, um, I don't know anything else about him. He said, Christmas points away from what we must do to who we can trust, and we need that. And this morning, as we open the Gospel of Luke and, and we read just a little more about the, the, the birth story of Jesus, I think what's revealed to us is just a little more about who Jesus is, about 
what Christmas, who Christmas is all about, and not just a list of other things we ought to get done. Now, I just want to remind you and, and tell you, if you weren't here last week, about Luke and his gospel just briefly again. Uh, Luke was an apostle, uh, or at least traveled with the apostles of Jesus. He was a missionary who traveled around uh, the known world telling people about what Jesus had done when he died and rose again. But Luke was also a doctor and a very smart man, and that comes out in this letter that he wrote. And he is, in the Gospel of Luke, and in the book of Acts in the Bible, he is writing these letters because a guy named Theophilus, just a Roman man, had probably paid him to write down an orderly account, as Luke describes it, of what had taken place in the life of Jesus. And so here's this guy named Theophilus, and he's a Roman man who apparently is a guy kind of like a lot of Americans who, who says, well, I like God and I love God, but I'm hearing a lot about this Jesus person and how does it all go together? I want to know more. And what's really cool, as we talked about last week, is that uh, apparently it appears that after Luke writes this letter that we call the book of Luke in the Bible and gives it to Theophilus, he's so impacted by the letter that, it, that he may very well have become a Christian because he was so compelled by who Jesus is. He was not compelled by a list. He was compelled by who Jesus is. And the other cool part about Luke that we know from history is that Luke is one of the world's greatest historians. And that's not just because I'm a pastor, that's not just because I'm a Christian that I'm saying that. The world continues to find archaeological evidence that points to the fact that Luke knew what he was talking about. And what happens, it's really weird with, the, with this guy named Luke, is he wrote down this book 2,000 years ago, and over time, people will dispute what he has to say. And they'll go, well, Luke couldn't have been right there. It's just not right. There was no city by that name. There was no ruler by that name. That, that's wrong. And then archaeologists will discover something and they'll go, oh, well, Luke was right there. He must be wrong somewhere else. And Luke continues to be proved right in his ability as a historian. And so in the book of Luke, we get this really unique kind of cool telling of the Christmas story because it's written by one of the world's greatest historians in order to teach a man who is seeking information about Jesus but doesn't have any of the filler or the background information or all the stuff that sometimes comes with our idea of Christmas but may have very well come for some of the early Jewish people uh, and their mindset about what happens during you know, the Christmas season or what Jesus was about. Luke even tells us this in Luke 1, 1 through 4, verses I probably should have read last week. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up, of, draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. And so apparently Luke goes around, takes some time, goes on a sabbatical, and, and travels around seeking to find the true story of Christmas. And he begins the story, we saw this last week, with this, 
with another story, a story about a guy that we call John the Baptist who would be born. And he, he was born under just incredible circumstances with an angel coming and parents that were far too old to have a baby and, and a dad who, who could no longer talk because the angel had, had punished him in some ways and, and a mom who gives him a weird name that shouldn't have been his name. And it's these extraordinary circumstances and it's a setup by Luke because then Luke turns the page And he says, but there was an even more extraordinary birth because this other extraordinary birth is about a more extraordinary person. His name is Jesus. And that story in Luke begins with an angel coming to a very normal virgin girl named Mary. And and then we pick up in that story this week in Luke 1, 39 and 40. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So important to understand a couple of things. John the Baptist is about six months older than Jesus. Uh, we can tell that from Luke. And, and so here's Mary, finds out she's pregnant by the power of God, even though she's a virgin, 14-year-old virgin, normal girl, finds out she's pregnant, and John the Baptist's mom, Elizabeth, is about six months pregnant, and Mary doesn't know that. And Mary, at hearing this information that she's pregnant, she's going to have a baby who's going to be called the Son of God, that's a really crazy day, right, goes. And she heads to her family's house, Elizabeth and Zechariah. We don't know, even though uh, the King James Version of the Bible uses the word cousin, we don't know how they're related. And I spent probably too long um, talking about this this week with some people in our church. Like, how, how could, they, could it have been her aunt? Could it have been a sibling? And we don't know. And all of the ages can align if you have old enough parents, we figured out. But we know that she's related to this person. And Mary, interesting response, finds out she's pregnant and she heads from Nazareth to this Nazareth to this hill country in Judea. Now uh, we don't know what hill what, what city that is according to the Bible, but history and tradition tells us that it's in a place called En Karem, and this city is according to Google Maps uh, about a thirty-one hour walk from Nazareth. This is interesting, right? And I'm not going to make some grand point by this, but she immediately after finding out she's pregnant, walks 31 hours to her relative's house. Uh, it's a really pretty spot, this city, uh, that has a lot of monasteries and, and uh, churches today because it's you know, the home of John the Baptist, and you can see it here, kind of sits in the southwest hills of Jerusalem, kind of looks down at the main city. Uh, I'm guessing there's probably expensive property. It's kind of like the west hills of Portland up here. Uh, And so Mary travels to this place, and here's my guess, total guess. I think that she does this for a couple of reasons. I think, first of all, she knows that Elizabeth is a godly woman that will give her sound advice Uh, She knows, I mean, we know that Elizabeth is a godly woman from the Bible, but Mary as a relative had to have known this. And Elizabeth's husband is a priest. And so Mary probably thinks like, if anybody can give me advice on how to handle this situation, it's those people. 
Here's the other thing. This is just a guess again. I think sometimes it's easier to tell somebody other than your parents things when you think they might get mad, when they might get upset. I don't know if you've ever been there before, or maybe one of your parents was the easier one, and so you went to mom or you went to dad because you just knew that the conversation was going to be easier. And I, I just to guess, I think maybe Mary just needed to run this predicament by somebody uh, before she you know, dropped it on mom and dad, but whatever the case, she travels uh, these 31 hours to go see this woman who was probably about 74 years older than her, according to kind of tradition, 74 years older to her, to a woman who, who is, is godly and married to a priest and, and who apparently Mary looks up to and is looking for advice from and whom God, just keep this in mind, has blessed with a child in her old age, which in the Bible says a lot about what God thinks about this woman. This is who Mary travels to. And that's what makes this next part really crazy. Just really super crazy. In Luke 1, 41 through 45. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now, the greeting doesn't need much of an explanation because just think about the moment. I mean, think about how Theophilus is reading this. Older woman. You know, usually the younger person is gonna say nice things to the older person. They might say, hey, it's great to see you and all. But I mean, you're the one that's trying to show respect when you're the younger person in the party. Uh, and not only that, but this is, a, 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 I think, probably a person with more money than Mary. Mary probably has less money than this person, and we know that because... Zachariah was a priest. And so respect in the community. Elizabeth has more respect in the community than Mary and her family. I mean, this is her older cousin who's pious and who she looks up to. And Mary shows up and immediately Elizabeth drops this, this greeting on her that's not even a greeting. It's a prophecy in a lot of ways. Blessed are you among women. You are the most blessed woman because you are now the mother of, notice what she said, the mother of my Lord. I mean, that's a crazy, crazy thing to say about somebody's baby that's inside of them. Before you've met them, before you've talked to them, before you know anything about them. And the Bible doesn't tell us that Elizabeth or Zechariah received a prophecy by an angel or any, any other way to say, hey, by the way, your cousin or your aunt or whoever is going to have a baby and it's going to be Lord. It doesn't happen. She instantly knows this upon Mary saying, hey, that says something, right? If you're, if you're Theophilus and you're reading this book, you don't just skip over this because you've heard it, because it's normal, because it's part of the Christmas story. You go, wait a minute, this is incredible. This is different. This is weird. This is exceptional. This is something I must pay attention to. What must this child be like if that is what happened? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine? We just had a baby, and we had a lot of people who were excited about us having a baby, 
But nobody, when Bryn walked into the room and she said, hi, said, wow, you're the greatest woman ever. And that baby is going to be a queen or lord or anything like that. That never happened. And if it would have happened, we would have been like, this is crazy. And that's what takes place. It's a few things to notice in her greeting. Um, Blessed are you among women. The word blessed there means spoken well of. And we do, I hope, speak well of Mary today. We talked last week about how as Protestants, not Catholics, uh, we sometimes have a tendency to kind of relegate Mary to just nothing. And uh, interestingly, I, I was looking as we try to connect our songs with our sermons every week. And uh, and and I looked and I wanted to find some Christmas songs that 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 connected to the, the part of the story about Mary. And it's really fascinating that she shows up less than the shepherds and less than the wise men in our Christmas songs. And in fact, she's only really in uh, one or two Christmas songs in any meaningful way. Uh, and uh, Mary, did you know, has been added um, uh, recently, but, but she's really not there. And it's a lo- in large part because Protestants just kind of pretend she doesn't exist because we don't want to feel Catholic but we should be speaking well of her. We should look at this woman and go, man, God picked you for a reason. It's because of who she was and, and because she believed that God would fulfill these promises. I mean, she believed that God would give her a baby even though she was a virgin. That's crazy. And then this other part I want you to notice, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I mean, the, the older respected woman says, I'm favored because you are coming to me. And I'm probably, probably guessing, I'm guessing that Mary showed up thinking, I'm glad to be here, you know. I'm blessed to have you in my life. And she returns that. And then mother of my Lord, I mean, how can we possibly not pay attention to that? A, a baby inside of a woman is declared Lord by one of the most important religious figures' wives at the time. That's a big, big deal. And here's what Mary says in verses 46 through 49, a famous part of the Christmas story again. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Here's what the, is this the best part? It's the best part of what Mary says uh, to me looking back 2,000 years ago. What she says can be true for every one of you. What she says in her prayer to God in this song that she pours out in response to this greeting can be true of you too. You can glorify the Lord and you can rejoice in God your Savior because God has been mindful of your humble state. In fact, he sent this same baby so that you too might be saved, so that you too might be blessed, so that you too might be forgiven, so that you too could experience his grace, so that you too could have his forgiveness, so that you too could live in eternity and in a perfect glory. I mean, everything that Mary says as she opens up and says, what has this done for me in the first part of this this prayer? What has it done for me? Uh, It's made me rejoice and glorify God because I recognize that he saw me as a humble nobody and did something for me. Can be true of you too. If you accept this person that we celebrate at Christmas, 
then you can rejoice in God, your Savior, because he has, he has been mindful of you in your humble state. And you may feel like a nobody sometimes. You may feel like an unimportant person in society. You may feel like nobody cares about you, like nobody likes you. But the Christmas story, when we get back to its simplicity, reminds us that even though we feel like nobodies, God has treated us like somebody by sending this baby, the baby that we celebrate at Christmas. It's pretty awesome. But she continues. She continues. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Here's what's, there's a lot of crazy parts in this passage of scripture, but here's another one. That Mary, in the midst of this, is able to see the magnitude of this baby being inside of her. What we have a tendency to do, what I have a tendency to do, I won't talk for you, I guess, but what I have a tendency to do is when I'm in the midst of things, it's really hard for me to see uh, the trees in the midst of the forest. How does that saying go? The forest in the midst of the trees, however that saying goes. I'm not an outdoorsman, but somebody knows what I mean. It's really hard for me to have perspective on a situation when I'm really wrapped up in the situation. An example of this that I, that I see uh, pretty clearly is when I do weddings. And when I do weddings, I'm, I'm really a part of it. And, uh, and so I'm there and I'm, I'm, you know, finding people in bars and trying to get everybody organized. And sometimes it, it's, it's hard to remember as I'm trying to make sure that I say the right things. And I'll tell you that, that I hate doing weddings. I absolutely hate them. Let me tell you why. Because you're only going to mess it up. You're never going to add anything to it. You know, uh, you're just, you're, that's the only thing you can do. Nobody ever goes at 20 years down the line at their 20th anniversary. Man, you know what was so great about our wedding? That guy that spoke and did the wedding. Nobody ever says that. But if I fell down or passed out or something, then at their 20th anniversary, they'd be like, hey, you remember at our wedding that that pastor guy fell over? And, and sometimes when you're like right in the middle of it and you're taking part part of it, part in it, but you're not the center of it, it's really hard to see the magnitude, the importance, the value of it. And here's Mary, who's part of this story, but not the central figure in this story. And yet, she's able to see the beauty of it. She's able to, if we go back to the wedding, to look at the wedding and go, this is an amazing thing where two people are being brought together and look at their love and all of that. Mary's able to look at at Jesus, this baby inside of her, and go, wow, even though this is difficult for me, and even though I'm not the main focus of this story, this has, this has universal implications. And it's pretty incredible. And there's three things that, that she says that are just so big, uh, that just show how important Jesus is. It's not a to-do list. It's how important Jesus is. And, and the first thing she says is that uh, God has been merciful. Mercy translates a word that, that means a feeling of sympathy with misery, active compassion, the desire of relieves, relieving the miserable. 
And, and here's the thing, this baby, this Christmas story exists because God looked down and wanted to relieve our misery. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that God who created us, that's bigger than us, that is, that is the being who makes all of this work, our lives, the universe, all of it, looked down and saw humanity and its misery and said, I want to do something about that. Isn't that cool? Have you ever been in a really just sad moment, just a, just a sad moment and, and had somebody look at you and want to do something for you? And they may not even have the ability to do anything for you, but just, just their desire to do something for you feels good. Our dog died a handful of months ago, and when we were paying the uh, emergency vet bill on the way out, um, people were talking, and, and we were in line for longer than I wanted to be in line, I can tell you that. And, uh, and I had said to one person, yeah, our dog just died, and uh, this person, I found out through conversation, had never been a dog owner, had never lost a pet, and, and, and so, it's funny looking back, it, uh, it was weird at the time, but she's like, oh, well, our dog smells like it's been burned, but it hasn't. <laughs> Thank you. No compassion whatsoever. Just this kept continuing, it was so weird of a moment, like, oh, that's different. Uh, but then this other lady, who I wasn't even talking to, was sitting across from me, and she just looked at me like, if I could do anything to take away this pain, I would do it right now. She just looked at me. She, she couldn't do anything to take away our pain, but she just looked at me and said, are you okay? And we weren't. She knew we weren't. She knew that we were sad. It was pretty obvious we were making a scene down the hallway with our, our tears. Uh, but that's, that's the description of, of what Christmas is about that Mary gives to us. She goes, there's a baby inside of me because God looked down and said, I see that they're hurting and that they're broken and that the world is destroyed by sin and that people are struggling and that people do have relationship problems and, and they do have sickness and health problems and they do have financial problems and I want to do something about it. And so I have sent this little baby the other thing she says is that God can reverse our fortunes. The humble are lifted up. The coming of Jesus is the epitome of this truth. I mean, here's the thing. Here's the thing that we see in the life of this baby as he grows older. We see that, it's, that he does this. We see that to the poor there's peace that transcends knowledge. We see that to the lonely there's love. We see that to the hurting there's hope. We see that to those who mourn there's mercy all because this baby was born. You see, Christmas in its simplest form is about a God who looks down and says, I wanna do something about their misery and I'm sending my son who can reverse their fortunes. I'm sending my son who can change everything. The same Jesus who was born at Christmas is a shepherd to the lost. He is a doctor to the brokenhearted. He is living water for those who are tired and thirsty. He is the bread to the dissatisfied and hungry. He is the light to those whose souls are dark. He is the door to those who constantly feel like they are outsiders. And he is the resurrection to those who feel dead all the time on the inside. You see, when we, when we study and we celebrate simply Christmas, it's about your fortunes being reversed because this baby has come. 
And I know that, that some of you are Christians and you're like, I want my fortunes to re be reversed right now and I still have struggles and I love Jesus. And, and I'll say this, sometimes it doesn't happen until after this life. But sometimes it does. And Jesus may not give you all the money that you want, but he sure is gonna help you be content with the money you have. And Jesus may not make every relationship good, but he's sure going to give you peace even when those other relationships are bad. And Jesus may not make everybody like you, but he's sure gonna love you and make it okay when they don't because you know that there's a God who cares about you. You see, simply Christmas is about you having your fortunes reversed, even if it's only on the inside even if it's only on the inside. But that's not it. Because God has made incredible promises to us and, and the coming of Jesus is the beginning of the fulfillment of those promises. Listen to the promises that were made in the Old Testament and this is just some of them. In Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and, he will, and you will strike his heel. At the very beginning... <coughs> right after man and woman had sinned for the first time and it was in part Satan's doing, God says, hey, here's the deal. Someday somebody's going to come and he's going to destroy the work of Satan and then we have Christmas. Satan is destroyed. He no longer wins because a baby was born and Mary recognizes that the baby inside her is the fulfillment, the beginning of the fulfillment of those promises. In Deuteronomy 18, 18, it says, I will rise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything. I command him. You see, in the coming of this baby who is inside of Mary when she says this, we have the one who will explain to us what God is like and what God wants for us and how much God loves us and how much God cares about us. We look back and we think, well, we just always known all that about God. But in Jesus, we have the one who will tell us exactly what Jesus is like or what God is like and what God wants from us. In Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, we see this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishments that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The promise of forgiveness begins to be fulfilled the moment Mary becomes pregnant with a baby, a baby named Jesus and then in Zechariah 2, 10 through 11, a different Zechariah. Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. We who are Gentiles, who are not Jews, can be part of God's family because a baby was born a couple thousand years ago. That's what simply Christmas is. The fulfillment of God's promises is simply Christmas. Luke 1, 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then she returned home and we'll examine what happens when she gets home next week. But I want you to hear this. The solution to your problems, the solution to our problems as a society is only Jesus and it's simply Christmas. If you look around and you go, well, I'm just hurting and I'm suffering and I need mercy, I would say Jesus. If you are a person who goes, I just always feel like I'm kicked to the curb and I'm 
always last in line and uh, things are never good for me in this area or that area or every area. Jesus, if you're a person who just needs a promise, you just need to know that, that something good is going to happen for you eventually and it's, it's a struggle and you just are, are going, wow, I've come into this Christmas season and it's just bad and I just need something good. Well, Jesus, the fulfillment, the beginning of the fulfillment of your promises. You see, the answer to our problems will never be found in a political party or better legislation or the newest book or psychology or self-help or anything else. It will always be found in Jesus. It is found in someone who died and was glorified so that we might be unified with God. That same someone was inside a virgin named Mary. The solution to our problems was inside of Mary. Isn't that incredible? If you need mercy, Christmas. If you need your fortunes reversed, Christmas. If you need your promises or you need promises fulfilled, Christmas. When we come to the Christmas story and we celebrate it as simply Christmas, not all this other stuff, not the things that have been added to the story, not the things that we think we have to do, It really isn't about a bigger to-do list. It's really about saying, look, Jesus. It's all about this person who does this for you. I'm gonna tell you this. If you're not a Christian, you need to embrace this baby who was born 2,000 years ago. Because I know, I know, that maybe not today, but at times in your life, you need mercy. And you're looking around wishing that people would be merciful. And maybe you showed up today here hoping to find mercy. And and we can be a little merciful as a church, but the only one who can really bring you mercy is Jesus. And maybe you're a person, if you're not a Christian, I know. I know that there are times in your life where you just think, man, I'm, I'm just beat up and I'm kicked down and I'm hurting and I need something to reverse my fortunes, Jesus. And you go, what's gonna happen in the future? You gotta, you gotta accept Jesus. And then here's the other part. If you're a Christian, then, then, what I, then what I would say this Christmas is you're gonna go through these holidays and there are going to be things. There are things that make this season the worst season. And, and it, there are. I mean, you're gonna uh, feel busier and you're gonna deal with people you don't normally deal with and you're gonna see what other people have that you don't have. And, and, and you're just, there's going to be moments this Christmas season where you're like, this is worse than last month and the other month. And, and is it summer yet? You know, I mean, is it summer yet? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to come back to Simply Christmas and I want you to come back to the prayer that Mary prays and I want you to say, wait a minute. It's not all about what people have. It's not all about whether we burned the ham. It's not all about who I have to see and who I don't have to see. It's all about a baby who was born so that I might have mercy and I might have my fortunes reversed and I might have promises fulfilled. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you (laughs) that the gospel, the story of you isn't one of just doing things. And I thank you that the story of Christmas isn't one of just needing to do more and more. And I pray, God, that this Christmas, maybe for the first time for a lot of people, 
the celebration of this holiday where we remember your birth, God, wouldn't just be a to-do list. It wouldn't just be like, well, we have to be at that party and that party and that party and that party. We need to cook this food and this food and this food and this food. And instead of God, of people feeling a need to clutter their life even more, something we tried to kind of push back against last week, I pray that people instead would have a desire to declutter and look at you. And I ask, Lord, that that we would take seriously our time alone with you this holiday season because our time alone with you is not just something we need to do. It's something that recenters us on the truth of who you are. Draw us back to this, God. I pray, Lord, that for every Christian, non-Christian, every person who's not a Christian in front of me, um, every person who's not a Christian who will listen online, God, that they would be honest about how much they need mercy. They would remember their sins. They would understand their sins. They would recognize how many things they've done wrong. They would understand their need, God, uh, for a reversal of fortunes. And they would have a desperate longing for a promise of something greater. And that this Christmas, they would come to you and they would accept you, Lord, as their Savior. God, for those of us who love you already, make this Christmas a simple one where we reflect and we celebrate who you are. In your name, I pray these things. Amen.